This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. When you're sad and when you're lonely and you haven't got a friend, just remember that death is not the end. And all that you've held sacred falls down and does not mend. Just remember that death is not the end. Not the end, not the end. Just remember that death is not the end. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan one song at a time, part of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining us once again to talk about Death is Not the End, recorded for Infidels, but of course didn't appear until 1987's Down on the Groove, is returning Bobcat Chris Donahue. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Hi, Rob. How are you? Good to be back. As I said off air, I know you're on vacation right now. I very much appreciate you taking time out of that to do a podcast for Pete's sakes. I feel like there's better ways to spend your time, man. No, it's not. No. My wife says it's the only time I ever get to speak up at Bob Dylan, so she's happy enough for me. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I think the show yeah. helps a lot of marriages in, in that in that regard. You know, it's funny. This is one of those songs, like a lot of times where a guest and I will plan to talk about a song and for whatever reason, it takes a while to finally getting around to doing it. We talked about doing this over a year ago. And of course, you know, a year ago, this would have been a very obscure song. It still is an obscure Dylan song, but we waited long, not on purpose, but we waited long enough to where the song is now kind of back in current currency at least in a way, and we'll talk about all that. It's just kind of fascinating how that works out sometimes. But let's start at, you know, at the beginning, as I mentioned, this song was, of course, originally recorded for Infidels. It was one of the last songs recorded for Infidels. And then it didn't get, didn't like a lot of great songs, didn't make that record, and finally ended up getting uh, dropped in on 1987's Down in the Groove. So, Chris, why did you want to talk about this one? This song, I mean, it's the kind of song that slipped by. It wasn't one that was in my head. And since the last time it was on me yet, um, I spoke about someone's got a hold of my heart. Right, right. And, I, and ever since, you know, I've just been listening to Bob. And I've, uh, there's been no songs that have jumped out at me to talk about again, because I don't want to just come on and force myself to talk about something, you know. I'd have to feel right. So <laughs> the reason this came about, and I think it was last May I contacted you, what actually happened was it was at a Bruce Springsteen concert in Dublin. He sang a song that night called I'll See You In My Dreams, and it was off one of his later albums. I think it's called Letters To You. I was not aware of the song. I kind of dropped off. Some of his later stuff wasn't that great. But this song that night really hooked me in. But it reminded me in a way of uh, Death Is Not The End, a song I hadn't listened to for a while, and I went home and I listened to I See You In My Dreams and Death Is Not The End. I just thought, you know what, there's more to this song. And maybe as I thought at the time, maybe when I listened to it the last time. Yeah, just through doing a wee bit of research on it, the song as well that we'll get into. Yeah, so that was it. Emailed you about it and thought we'd get stuck into this one. <laughs> and uh, as you say, there's been just stuff that's come up between, it's kind of been postponed for one reason or other over the last six, seven months. And it's good to finally get talking about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I, I remember... You know, of course, I first heard this on like anybody else. I heard it on Down in the Groove. And I'll admit, I didn't think much of it at the time. Jason, MD, and I 
talked about it a little bit on our Down in the Groove kind of 30th anniversary, you know, episode that we that we did a, a couple of months ago. And, you know, it doesn't fit on that record, you know, like, you know, for all of its merits of a song, I don't think it fits on that record at all. It kind of sits there right in the middle of side one. And you're just like, what a weird, you know, Bob's got these backup singers and, and me, you know, he's done stuff with backup singers before, but this was kind of different, you know, a different sounding kind of thing. And then, of course, later on, I learned, oh, it was meant for Infidels, as I mentioned. It's one of the last songs that he recorded for Infidels, thanks to uh, Terry Ganz's invaluable book, Surviving in a Ruthless World. He talks about the writing process of it. And, of course, there's a bunch of alt lines that never made it into the, the final version of the song. When you know that it was recorded for Infidels, it makes, you know, you go, oh, okay. It makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't know if I would still if I can really picture it on infidels, but it thematically, I kind of see where he was going there. Like, Oh, it's of a piece with these other songs. And it sounds like it was never really seriously considered for infidels at any point, And none of the lineups to that record ever included this, but it makes a lot more sense. I think when you know it from that context, but I think being kind of buried on that weird record, the song just kind of as like its own, like weird little separate history, as opposed to being just part of the greater, infidels period of work and of course you know you first hear the you know the title death is not the end you're like the lyrics and you go through it and there's some really strange lines in this but overall you're like it is it's kind of like a little prayer you know it's it's typical sort of dark bob dylan prayer but it is a kind of an upbeat prayer in a lot of ways it definitely is yeah it's like a spiritual song it's it's kind of one of those circular spiritual songs maybe in the vein of something like the circle being may the circle be unbroken and it definitely fits more in with Infidels than uh, Down in the Groove. It does stand out like a sore thumb and Down in the Groove. And at the time, maybe then, it was a wee bit, uh, as you say, I could never, it was never a song that jumped out on me until I, I went back and listened to it. And, and there's more to it than First Meets the Eye, I think. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, Down in the Groove itself, I think it was touted originally as self-portrait part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing a bit of research. And you can see that, I mean, there's a lot of, it is a kind of wee bit of filler on it. It does feel like a almost like a pivotal album. Um, after that, like a holding period album. After that, you can you can sort of feel Bob making his way back after this album. Follows it up with Old Mercy, which is I mean Old Mercy. I think by everyone standards is is a great album. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, then he what came after Old Mercy? There was, I think there was that grateful under the red album. sky. Under the Red Sky, which for me, I mean, I, I love Under the Red Sky. I think there's a lot to love in that album. So, I mean, this does, Down in the Grave feels almost like, almost feels like a midlife crisis album, doesn't it? It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? There was like, there was a lot going on in 1988 with Bob, wasn't there? I mean, to talk about this song, you kind of have to look at Dylan in 83 and you have to look at him in 88. Like the song itself, recorded. And come here, what has he got, a 60-year career, 60-plus yeah, and, 60, uh, 62 years at this point. Good Lord. Yeah. And the two songs I've chosen to talk about on Bob Dylan, on Paul Dylan, uh, were recorded in the one week. <laughs> no, only, <laughs> only, uh, but here's the thing. I only, like, I didn't know that at the time when I emailed you to talk about this song. I was just like, oh, man, it definitely, there's something about that recording <laughs> session that I obviously love, the soundtrack <laughs> with Muffler and Nick Taylor. But I don't think they're playing this song, but there's just something about that time that I love. I mean, Dylan at this time was still spiritual, and this is a spiritual song. He, he maybe was a wee bit burnt out at this stage as far as organized religion is concerned. 
there was a wee bit of a withdrawal happening there, but still spiritual themes on Infidels. And uh, some of the lyrics in this song um, certainly would be similar to something like Foot of Pride and some of the kind of revelations type uh, predictions that he makes. Then you have to, I mean, you can't really talk about this song and to think why did he bring it in then six years later? Maybe it was just short of materials, one one way of looking at it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really the only example I could think of where he pulls something from a record that far back. You know, there's there's other examples where he's, you know, he recorded, he tried Mississippi for Time in a Mind and then, you know, went and moved it onto the next record. And there's, you know, some instances here and there, but very rarely has he gone that far back. I mean, Down in the Groove is 87 and Infidels is 83. That's, he doesn't do it. Like. No, that's pretty oh. rare. And again, it's so funny that, you know, of all the songs to pull from Infidels, he pulls this one. I mean, not that this isn't a, an interesting song, but we know we know now he had Blind Willie McTell. He had Foot of Pride. He had Tell Me. He had all these real bangers in the foot of, in the, uh, infidel sessions and this is the one he decides to put in the middle of down again in the middle of side one as well and those songs you chose would have probably fitted better on down in the groove it's it's so strange that he picks this five years later and you would think then okay maybe he's picked it because he now you know he's got some great love for the song but he's i don't it's never been performed live not once nope when he's looking into it so then you have to think right so he's went back five or six years to choose this song and then he never, you know, he, ne- he doesn't look at it again. It's it's such a strange, strange <laughs> choice, isn't it? It was a fallow period for Bob. The idiot was like probably, it's probably his low point, was it? Like, I mean, Paul Williams, I was reading about it in Paul Williams' book, and he says it was like a year when it filled with the sort of semi-public activities we've come to expect from once legendary figures. You know, he was in a real low here, wasn't he? A career low. I think he was, yeah, I mean, I think by his own admission, the Down in the Groove and Knocked Out Loaded were kind of just, I owe Columbia Records another record. So let me pull th- put this together, and here it is. And, you know, we know, again, we know now that that was the end of that particular contract, and then it was, Oh Mercy was the first record of a new contract, and he sort of knew, okay, I'm where, you know, where I am as Bob Dylan in 1988-89, I have to really make a splash with this. Yeah. I got a new contract. And so we put a little more effort and I don't say effort. I, I you know, that I, I don't know. You know, it's not that down in the group. It's just those two records are just sort of thrown together from different sessions. And so they don't really have a great cohesive identity. I mean, as Jason and I talked about, there's a lot on down in the group to enjoy. It's just, it's just all over the place. It's just like, there's some the 50s stuff. And then there's that. And then there's, Again, like I was looking at his records thinking if he was going to put death, uh, death isn't at the end anywhere. I actually could could have imagined it at the as the last track on Empire Burlesque. Not that I would want to lose Dark Eyes, but there's a lot of similar thematic preoccupations on Empire Burlesque to this song. And I could see, I mean, you know, he's got a song and there's something's burning babies, but the fumes of hell, you could see this song being gentle and kind of, you know, kind of an acoustic sounding thing being the last song on Empire Bliss. But no, again, he leaves it for, for the, for the middle of, <laughs> middle of down on the groove. And, you know, like all the songs in Infidels, he was working really hard on it. I mean, Terry Gans lists a bunch of the alternate, you know, lines to it. And he had a lot of really interesting approaches to to this theme 
and there is, of course, the alternate take on the Springtime in New York set. So, I mean, he was trying fun, but as you say, he never performed it live. He, he digs it out, he puts on it down in the groove, and then he just, you know, just sort of forgets about it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a strange one. Like, I can't, and I mean, I have been thinking about it and thinking, why would he do that? And I can't really come up for a particular reason. I mean, it does feel like this time, I mean, what age was Bob around 88? Definitely feels like a, I, feel, I mean, the collection of songs, it just sounds like an oddball collection. And it sounds like at that time in his life, he was kind of just flailing around doing oddball types of things as well. You know, he was going to, I don't know, <laughs> I seen probably about a year ago, Ray Padgett put up a story. I, I, I'm not sure where he got it from about him turning up around this time at a, a party with Elton John. Did you read that one? No. Yes. Yes, I did read it. <laughs> and he turned up and he sounded like he was maybe a little bit drunk and he was just being Bob and he, uh, I think Alan John tried to get him and told him to go up and change into some of his clothes which <laughs> like I mean if anyone studies Bob or thinks knows Bob Dell, there's no way he was getting into any of Alan John's clothes like that just wasn't going to happen but I mean all this type of stuff was going on around then wasn't there he was just flailing around for relevance he was playing with Tom Paddy, he was playing with Grateful Dead, he was appeared in Hearts of Fire. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, it was just, he just didn't, one potential thesis of this album is it was a midlife crisis going on. Death is not the end, was maybe part of that, you know. Um, after this, he he's kind of was reborn, critically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the rest guy was definitely a step up and then he got the two folk albums and then of course he had time out of mind, which was he, he really hasn't put a foot wrong since that. So yeah, it just feels like this was his nadar. But as you say, it was recorded a lot lot before that in uh in the infidel sessions. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's forty two when he does this. And I mean it's not like oh, all of a sudden he's singing about death. He's been singing about death since he was like nineteen. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is nothing new. But it's you know, the, again, the, the lyrics are, if you listen to them, you know, kind of carefully, they are very comforting, except in some parts. But I mean, you know, he says, when you're standing at the crossroads that you cannot comprehend, just remember that death is not the end. And you don't know what's up the bend. Just remember that death is not the end. I mean, fairly simple words, fairly basic statements. But again, it is, is this kind of calming prayer. And then you've got this, the backup band, I believe they were called, what is it? Full Force, I think they were called. And you know, they're force rotted after, I think, weren't the it was an overdub. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean lyrically, I I mean look, it's a simple enough lyric. He basically lists a kind of shake things that could happen to you and then follows it with a refrain. <laughs> Don't worry, death's not the end. There is, I mean, you can notice from verse to verse there's a small progression that starts small and local and personal. You know, when you're sad and you're lonely and you haven't got a friend, just remember death is not the end. And then it works up and works up and it ends maybe more large and universal and projection of something horrible happening in the future. Um, when the cities are on fire and the burning <laughs> flesh of men. That's the one line that you go, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's <clears throat> apparently that those lyrics were written in the side when he was working on the lyrics for Something's Got a Hold of My Heart. The other song that I, that we covered here. Um, he was he he was capturing some of these lyrics for this song on the same page. So I read that. I think I read that in the same book. You were reading the Terry Gans one. Mm-hmm. He must have seen that in the archives. Yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, look, the meaning of this song is the denial of death, really. I'm not sure if you've read the, the book by Ernest Becker. Uh, no, I've not. The denial of death, it's, it's a grim read, really, but um, it's about man's reach for immortality, really. My mom would, the conquering conquering of lands or the creation of art or, or making a, a great building or writing a song, it's all part of man's trying to extend his life, um, trying to gain some type of immortality in the world. Yeah, so I mean, look, this song's about this. I don't think it matters if you're an atheist or not. And yeah, that would still hold true. I'm not sure if you have any religion yourself or do you believe yourself, Rob? Or... Uh, I don't, I don't know what I believe. <laughs> yeah. I don't, su- no, I don't subscribe to anything organized. Let me, let me put it, let me put it that way. But that, I mean, that's one of the things I do like about the song is that it is not yeah. specific to us. To, you know, he's not necessarily talking about heaven in the Christian sense. No, you know, you just think death is. is not the end. Well, that can be anything that you want it to be. Yeah, I think there's value in this, whether you're religious or not. I mean, the sentiment is genuine. I don't think there's anyone, you know, doesn't see themselves in some way continuing after after the day, you know. I mean, even if it's as much as your name being called out at, a, at an anniversary or, you know, you're still in the world when someone does that. Death is not the end in, in many ways, you know, if someone still thinks of you after you're gone or speaks of you, you're still, they're still conjuring you in this world. And I think that's somewhat something everyone could understand, whether you're spiritual or not. And uh, I think this song, as you say, it's not it's not secular in any way. It's it's kind of just covering that idea. Yeah, I mean, the other thing there you were saying, you could see this uh, belonging on uh, Emperor Perlesk. I was actually thinking, oh, mercy. If you had to held on to it for another year, you could definitely see Lanois <laughs> dealing with this. It's, it's the type of thing Lanois would be into, isn't it? Yeah, I can picture that. Yeah, not not with the backup singers on it, but yeah, I could see this. I could see this on there. Yeah, like I mean, he does. Lanwa done an album with the Neville Brothers, and it's it's kind of gospel. Definitely see something like this on it. Yeah, so might actually cover it on it. Actually, I will. I I will say that the one lyric you quoted in the the last verse, the one line that jumps out, and it's when the city's on fire with the burning flesh of men. It's such a, it's such a grotesque image that I always. It always feels a little like it jars me out of the song. Not that it's, I mean, he's talking about obviously some hellish apocalypse kind of thing, but it's just such, it, it's such a gentle song, even though, again, it's talking about something so, you know, scary potentially. But that line is so just, it makes me go, ah, and what, yeah, yeah and when I, when, it, yeah, when I read the, the alts in, in Terry's book, you know, where he's talking about, he says, uh, when voices sound like buzzsaws and all backstabbers say amen, you know, I mean, there's like, oh, okay, I, you know, I like that. I, but it almost reminds me of the, the line from the With God on Our Side, where he talks about the, you know, in the, in the ovens they fried. It's such a grotesque line. Again, I know it's accurate, but it's just so just like, oh, that I almost wish he had left it, left it out. And so, that that line in this, I mean, it's funny when we'll talk about the the famous cover of it, who they got to sing that line. But it's and, and in some ways, I can see Bob almost like, nah, that that's the my favorite line in the song is getting to that. But it's, it's the one line I kind of go, mm, maybe he could have come up with something just a little yeah, less yeah. jarring. But I, you know, hey, jar, yeah, definitely, and it's definitely with like I mean, you could imagine a, a line like that in Joker Man or or Foot of Parade or you know where there's a lot more of that. 
type of talk. But yeah, it definitely jumps out. It's going a wee bit too far in this song. It, it, up until this point, it's comforting. And you hear this and you go, oh, man. <laughs> Put a pride, <laughs> definitely. You could definitely get imagined in, in that. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, I mean, do you think it's just a pleasant song? I tell you one thing with, that I absolutely love is, I know what, his harmonica playing at the start, I think it's actually, for me, I'm a, like, I'm a, a Bob, not Case, like, but I'm probably going to say something here that everyone's going to hate, but is, is harmonica playing? Sometimes I could do without it, you know? Sometimes, sometimes some of the notes he hits kind of goes through me a bit. It's just maybe something with my ears, like, but the harmonica playing on this is beautiful. It's really, really nice. Like, a, this, I think it's my favorite recorded Bob harmonica. That's probably going to be a controversial thing to say, but... <laughs> Um, and just he plays the whole melody, the song at the entry of it. Um, just as the song starts up, and it's it's really nice. I love the sound of it. Yeah, it's very um, it's very kind of sing songy, uh, very lilting. It, there's a slight echo on it, uh, which yeah. I like. You know, it fades in. You know, and again, it it just has that very sort of gentle loping feel to it. But yeah, no, I I, I do like the intro quite a bit. I think there's a, I haven't heard it now, I think there's a recorded version of it, seven or eight minutes long, it doesn't fade out. Uh, I think Clady King is maybe the backup singer on it, and with no overdubs on it. Have you heard that version? Or? No. So I think there is a version out there with no overdubs, and it doesn't have uh, full force on it. Hmm. And it's Clady, Clady King just singing the backing on, on the chorus. So yeah, it'd be nice to hear that, it's about seven minutes long. <laughs> so uh round right now again we mentioned that it's been played zero times live and you know it's not it's certainly probably one of his most obscure songs except as as i said at the top of the show in the beginning of when we talked about doing this to, to now uh it kind of got pulled out again but not by bob so chris why don't you explain uh what we're talking about and and your personal experience with that version yeah well there's been a few covers of this over the years there's uh, gavin friday i'm not sure if he's an Irish musician he done like a 10 minute version of this <clears throat> that brings out the dirge sort of quality of the song um it's a little bit too long for my liking and i think back maybe in the 90s or early 2000s i think Kiev did a version of this song as well Oh, oh yeah, I, I want to mention the Water Boys. I'm not sure if you've heard the Water Boys version. No, I have not heard up, that. It's it's really good. There's a live version by the Water Boys. It's a lot more upbeat. It's a bit of a hooli. There's a lot of fiddle on it, uh, and it's it's great. But yeah, the Nick Cave version, he'd on it with uh, he had a couple of other guest singers on it, Shane McGann, TJ Harvey, Kylie Minogue. And um, <laughs> I'm not sure if you heard that version. I have, yes. I I yeah. love the fact, first of all, I didn't know it exists until we were talking about doing this and I was researching it. And first of all, I'm like, what a combo, you know, Shane McGowan and Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue. <laughs> and then it was, I've got to, and by the way, a, a good friend of mine and, and a guy who's been on a bunch of other, my podcast, Sean Myers loves Kylie Minogue. And we've been joking about that. Uh, you know, if Kylie ever covered Bob Dylan, that's what, that's when he'd get on the show. And here it is. And first of all, I never thought I'd hear it. And then they give her the burning flesh of men line, which I thought of all yeah, the, well, if, I was like, of the singers there, you would think she would be the last one that they would ask to sing that line. And yet it's Kylie Minogue singing cities about burning flesh of men. Like, wow. Okay. 
Yeah, well, I can think uh, those guys have a sick sense of humour, I'd say. And <laughs> I'd imagine Kylie seems to be good friends with Nick, so she must have too. So I think she was going against tape there. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, so oh, funny, Shane McGann, just, I know he's passed away, RIP, recently. Um, couple of stories about Shane that are Bob related. <laughs> Don't know where to start with, but um, one of them is actually relating to this song. So I was at Shane's funeral last week, five years ago. I'm friends. I've got a very good friend called John Jamie Smith from the Grange in County Armagh. And he's friends with this giant of a man from Nina, which is County Tipperary, uh, which Shane's uh, home place was. And I'm also called Tom Cray, and he's a legend in his own right. He's got a beautiful, rich tenor voice in the style of Count John McCormick from Ireland here. And my friend, Jamie John, got to know Tom over the years. Through Jamie, I got to know Tom. And Tom is was probably one of Shane's best friends uh, he's, and has been for years. And Tom's a very generous, open man. Whenever you meet him, he welcomes you with open arms. And what's, what's his is yours. He's one of those type of guys, a man you don't meet every day. And um, over the years, Tom has, has brought us down with Matt Shane maybe 10, 15 times, got to know him a little. And uh, that's that's really how we got to the funeral. And we ended up wow. going down and we met up with Tom and Tom ushered us in. He wouldn't go in. He actually, he, was, he wouldn't go in until he made sure that all his all his friends were in, and which just shows the measure of the man, you know. Yeah, so we were sitting there, and the priest, um, Father Pat Gilbert, got up to make his eulogy, and he started the eulogy with a Bob Dylan song, and the Bob Dylan song was "Death, uh, Death is Not the End." This one, so he quoted a few few lyrics from it, and then went in to talk about. The transformative power of song and and how Shane was a master of it. And yeah, was a, and I was kind of taken back because I goes to the uh, goes to my wife Catherine and I says this is the song I was going to talk uh, on Paul Dylan about and it's actually been mentioned at Shane's funeral now and I haven't heard anyone talk about this song ever. Just amazing, like, <laughs> just amazing. It, it, I know it is. It is one of those things. Like it actually made me think afterwards of some of Shane's lyrics and. and He's actually got a song called Sick Bed of Cuchulain. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. No, not that one. And he's, the lyrics, I'll read you the lyrics, and this is kind of Shane's way of saying, death is not the end. They'll take you to clock prior and shove you in the ground. Then you'll stick your head back out again and shout, we'll have another round. <gasps> yeah, so that's how Shane seen death, just one big, long, after life of parties and friendship and laughter. How many people were, were at the funeral? I'm not sure, Rob. There was there was quite a few outside. There was hundreds outside them. At the, you know, in the grounds of the chapel, there was like hundreds of people. Like it was it was mad. Like it was surreal. But like Johnny Depp was sitting on a stool in front of us during the mm. mass. It was just it was bizarre. There was just uh, quite a lot of um, famous Irish singers were there as well, and there was a big holy afterwards. A bar just outside Nina Town called the Thatch, a beautiful wee bar. If you're ever in Nina, it's got beautiful food and beautiful pints of stout. And everyone went there and just sang and celebrated Shane's life into the early hours. Yeah, it was amazing, mate. That, that does actually, sound amazing. <clears throat> yeah, I actually met Shane in Dublin four nights before Dylan played Dublin on the Rough, Rough and Rowdy West Tour. Um, it was a Thursday night. Dylan was playing on the Monday night, I think. And we went down to meet Shane with Tom. And 
me and Jamie went down in the train and we walked in and it was just Tom and Shane sitting in a hotel um, in Dublin. And we, we were there all night with Shane and Tom. And, wow. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Shane, Shane bought us all dinner and with drinks and <laughs> wow. what a night, like. <laughs> like I mean, Shane, it, it was bizarre for me because Shane to me growing up was as much a hero, probably more at that time. I think in the last podcast I said I didn't get into Bob until I was older. So mm. Shane was like a hero of mine as a teenager, and just to be sitting there, it was so bizarre, you know. Um, but that night, like I knew I was coming back to Dublin to see Bob two or three days later, and I kind of knew that Bob was a Shane fan and Shane was a Bob fan. So I said to Tom loudly. <laughs> At the table, are you going to see Bob Dylan on Monday night, Tom? And Tom wasn't. Um, and I didn't really bring it up directly with Shane. I just I said nothing. And then afterwards, the Guinness started to flow, and I kind of forgot about Bob. Because after all, I was sitting with Shane. Shane fucking McCann, you know. That was, that was good enough. So I never mentioned Bob again. But Shane took a light into my hat that night. And uh, I had a nice Datsun fedora hat. And Shane liked it, and he had it on his head. And... At the end of the night, he wouldn't give me it back. And I was like, give me that hat back. And I grabbed <laughs> it off his head. And that was, that's actually the last time I met you. And then uh, three days later, I was in Dublin. And I, uh, I was thinking the next day I should have given him my fucking hat. <laughs> I was rich. <laughs> I just didn't let him out of the hat. And they were sitting at the concert. And um, Bob Dylan does a shout out to Shane McGowan. At the concert. Oh, wow. Yeah, that night. So I got out afterwards and rang Tom. And says, Tom, <laughs> is there any way you can get me backstage? <laughs> or to the after party here, we're down seeing Bob Dylan. And he was like, he calls me Christy. He's like, ah, oh, Christy, why didn't you ring me this morning? Why did you ring me this morning? So that was that. I was oh, thinking of myself. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of myself after, you know what? I don't know if Shane was backstage, but he could have been wearing my hat meeting Bob. That would have been good enough, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, we all know that Bob, I mean, there, when Shane passed away a couple of months ago, the photos got resurfaced on, on social media of Bob meeting Shane. And we all, yeah, I mean, obviously Bob loves other musicians. And I think, you know, just on a personal level, he loves people who I think kind of put it all out on the line in, yeah. in whatever way you want to interpret that. And Shane McGowan was one of those guys. So the fact that Bob and Shane had some, either friendship or at least a, a, a mutual appreciation of each other should not be surprising at all. And of course, Shane was familiar with old folk songs and that's right. You know, that's right in Bob's wheelhouse too. So it's, yeah, it seems surprising at all that they would be friendly. The Pogues were actually meant to, Shane's bond, the Pogues were meant to support Dylan at one point in the 80s, I think it was. And they were meant to fly to America and support, but something, I'm not sure what happened, I think. Hmm. It was something happened anyway with Shane, but um, it, it didn't happen. So, like, Dylan is a fan. I think there's a lot, they have a lot in common. I mean, they're both, this is something I've always said about Dylan and, and Shane McGowan's exactly the same. They're, they're highly intellectual men, but they're not intellectuals, if you know what I mean. You know, they'd be like Shane, and I think Bob's the same. They're, they're from a working to middle class background, and they'd far prefer to be chatting I, I feel to um, mm. on in the bar like a normal person and I think a lot of people then see Bob as odd when he's actually just acting normal you know it's <laughs> like like when he turns up like that story if you read it from the Elton John story if you read that from the point of view of thinking of a celebrity it probably is odd behavior but 
it's probably how we would all behave, you know, if you went into Elton John's house and he told you to put his clothes on. I think everyone would feel, <laughs> I'm not doing that, you know. <laughs> so I think Bob is, is very normal and down to earth and he, that's mistaken for a nodness in, in the world of celebrity. And I think Shane was like that too, in many ways. So that's what I mean when I say they're highly intellectual, but they're not intellects. You know what I mean? I think they'd far prefer to be talking to you about how to, I don't know, catch a rat in a barrel or something, something down to earth and some uh, some of those higher conversations. I'm not sure. That's just, so I think they have a lot common that road. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, but, you know, not, people that are not famous probably can't appreciate how odd it's got to be to be famous and especially someone at Bob's level. I think there was even a quote from someone who said that when Bob and Shane met, Shane didn't talk to Bob about music. He asked him about, he told him uh, that he loved uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. And they talked about movies and that, and yeah, they said, Bob, right. Bob like lit up. Cause he was like, you know, yeah. he's not being asked about songs. He's talking about a movie. I'm like, yeah. you know, like, okay, I appreciate that. Cause Bob's probably like, okay, I get a little tired of talking about this or that, but oh yeah. Talk about a, you know, old movies. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah he's I just like a regular him. guy. Yeah. No, Shane was a massive cowboy fan. Like he loved that. He loved like Sergio. He was a big Sergio Leon fan. And they had their own. I'm not sure if you knew them. They had their own spaghetti West and the Pogues. No, in a film called Straight to Hell. You've never seen her a film, man. You should watch that one. Oh, wow. No, I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah. You know the director, Alex Cox? I have seen, I've seen Repo Man of his, and uh, I think I've seen one other, but I haven't seen, I have not seen that one. Yeah, look up Straight to Hell. So, yeah, he was a big cowboy man. So, that would make sense to me that he would talk to Bob about that. Alex Cox yeah, and so, Bob should have gotten together in the 80s. That would have been a hell of a combination. <laughs> Instead oh, of Bob man. wasting his time in Hearts of Fire, being one of the Alex Cox movies, that would have been yeah, something else. Yeah. yeah, there's been a lot being, I suppose it was two years ago I was on, there's been a lot happening in the Bob world since then. Um, did you get to see any of the concerts yourself, Rob? Or? Yes, yeah. Well, I went to, I just went to, well, I just saw him, not even a month ago in Philly when he swang by. So yes, I did get to see him uh, when he, when he was, when he was here. And I, you know, as we've talked about on many episodes, you know, the rough and rowdy ways tour is end dated as 2024. I hope that means he's going to make at least one more swing in this part of the part of the world for 2024. My guess would be he won't because there's a lot of other part of the world to cover in 2024, but you never know with him. So yeah, did it feel like a good bay where you were? Did it or did it feel like a good bay from him when you were watching him that night? Uh, I I don't you know I can't I can't profess to possibly guess what's in his mind. I mean I I, I all I can say and my feelings I I can't look at it in a in a really clear way because my dire hope is of course that the answer to that is no, and that's going to cloud how I feel about it. My hunch is no that he's putting an end date on the rough and ready ways tour to start something else and just give it its own thing as opposed to, you know, just saying, well, he's just, because I mean, again, we've heard through the grapevine that like, he doesn't like the never ending tour moniker. People put it and he doesn't like that anymore. Now, who knows? Um, That might be somebody presuming that they're speaking for him or whatever. But again, my hope is that he's got something else that he's working on and he's, you know, rough and ready ways is this, this is its own thing. And then I'm moving on to something else. At least that's, you know, that is what I hope. And again, that, that I'm sure that's clouding my judgment 
because I just desperately want it to be true. I don't want the I don't want to think that he's done touring yeah. as of twenty twenty four. That'd just be too sad to contemplate. And did you enjoy the concert? Like, and and you know, you've seen him a lot over the years. What? Yeah, it was terrific. I mean, uh, you know, I always enjoy seeing him. I mean, he's uh, we again we we talked about it on the, the tour episode with with Henry and Matt, and and I mentioned you know my own experiences. It's a much more controlled thing now because he's doing the same songs ever virtually every night and so instead of you know the randomness which has good good parts and bad parts it's very like these are the songs these are the 16 17 songs i'm doing every night in the same position and i'm going to play with those every night and you know it's just a different thing that he's that he's doing um so you know again i can hope I get, that he's got something else planned there's always rumors but you never know until, and even Bob himself, you know, I mean, there was no, at least in my circles, there was no, I mean, he, you know, he drops murder most foul. He doesn't even say it's from a record. He drops, I could see multitudes. doesn't say anything about a record, even though they knew there was the record coming. And then he finally drops yeah. false profit and goes, Oh, by the way, that's from the new record out in a month. You're like, what was all the secrets? To, you know, why all the secrecy? So it was such a strange period that coming out, wasn't it? Over COVID and yeah, yeah. I seen him twice in that last tour. He swung by Europe. I seen him in Dublin and I seen him a few weeks before in the London London Palladium. Yeah, for me the Dublin sound was a lot better. London the Palladium, the the, the building itself was absolutely beautiful. It was a beautiful wee small venue. Um, but the, I don't know. There was something going on that night. The, the band didn't really click for me for some reason. It was the Sunday night in London. The drummer was very busy. Um, Dublin, this it just seemed to congeal better. The, the whole band sound was a lot better in Dublin. Mm. I thought, although the it was a big, big concrete venue, and uh, the venue wasn't as nice, but the sound was definitely better. Yeah. So that was that. What else has he been doing over the last couple of years? There's been fragments yeah. is released. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's opened. There's a subterranean homesick blues video remake. Can't forget that. The yeah, well, all right. Uh, I mean, you know, (laughs) the philosophy of modern songbook. I mean, the man is constantly busy with stuff. And Shadow Kingdom. On top of that, you know, he decides to. That's something else too. Like, I if he wanted to just do Shadow Kingdoms forever, where he was re-recording some of his songs and in, in his modern voice, boy, I would love that. Like if he did, if he decided to do shadow kingdom and pull out death is not the end, I would love to hear what death is not the end. Sounds like in Bob's current fantastic, voice. Yeah. That would be have amazing to, to hear. Have you listened to that complete Budokan? I just finished it. I just finished. There'll be an episode on it uh, coming soon, but uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a song in it, um, Girl from the North Country, the version he does on that, it sounds really like, I mean, I could see it on this tour. I'm not sure if you remember it, but it's beautiful. And it's kinda, mm-hmm. it's got that feeling of a band kind of feeling their way slowly through. It's definitely got the same sort of atmosphere as what he's doing now. So, yeah, I mean, if he went on doing versions of Shadow Kingdoms from this point on, I'd be like yourself, I'd be happy enough with that. Yeah. I mean, anything he wants to do, I'm, I'm all in no matter what. I mean, I'm an easy mark, whatever he wants to do. But it would just be if clearly Shadow Kingdom is meant to be like, these are what the songs sound like to me now. And it was great. It was an interesting thing. And it's if you wanted to keep doing that, you know, hey, do a whole record of redoing your obscure songs that you've never done live, Bob. Do Death Is Not The End. Do On A Night Like This. Do, you know, Temporary Like Achilles. Like just 
go through the back catalog. It's fine. You know, whatever. Again, he doesn't owe us anything at this point. We owe him. And so anything he wants to do, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with. But, um, but you know, and, and, you know, this song, getting back to, we're kind of wrapping up or getting back to Death Is Not the End. Like, I just find it so remarkable that even something as, as obscure as this, which is probably his, you know, 495th most famous song out of 600 songs or whatever he's got can resurface so currently, you know, can resurface out of nowhere. And it's, you know, it, it becomes tied to the passing of Shane McGowan. It gets played at his memorial service, just kind of out of nowhere. It's, it, it always feels like God, his, his, all of his songs, even the most obscure ones are just seeded into the culture. And, all it takes is somebody to, you know, pour a little water on them and then they just grow and pop up somewhere else that you wouldn't expect. You know, I just think it's yeah. I, it's amazing. It is amazing. It'll be interesting to see, you know, follow or not, will will the song start to get played a bit more? I know on, on Irish radio it, it probably will. I'd imagine it'll be picked up now and, and you could maybe see more covers of it coming out. And yeah, so <laughs> listen, it just it worked out uh, if we had recorded this four or five weeks ago, I wouldn't have had that. Um, yeah, hey, unbelievable. Hey, they, they, it's the the hand of fate was keeping us apart until we had a chance to do it uh, exactly, to do it now. Yeah. So, uh, well, <laughs> well, Chris, um, again, thank you for reaching out and wanting to do this. I enjoyed talking to you the first time. You probably next time you come on, we can go outside that one week of recording, right? You know, it's okay. You can yeah, talk about other great, songs right? that he's done <laughs> in the other sixty one years of his recording <laughs> life. But you know, if you want to stay in that it's week, good. that's I, that's up to you. I didn't know it was the same week. So come here, look, there's definitely something. There was magic happening for me that week, whatever was happening in Bob World. 19, it was in May 1983. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite Bob period, yeah. So, okay, well. Yeah, it was uh, lovely talking to you. It was a pleasure, Rob. I, I always like talking to you, Chris. So, okay, uh, the exit question. I've heard, I've said so you've been on the show before. I asked you the one I've been asking most people. So I'm going to change it up for you a little bit. And is uh, you were talking about, you know, hanging out with Shane McGowan and whatever. So related to what kind of what we were talking about, the chain and Bob talked about movies. I'm going to ask you the movie question, which is if Bob somehow could invite you, invite you over Chris. And he's like, bring me a movie, show me a movie. You know, what movie do you want? We're going to watch a movie together. What movie do you think you would, you would want to show him? And you can, you can approach this question from any angle. It can be you just want to show him one of your favorites. You can want to show him something that you think he hasn't seen that he'll love, anything like that. But what if he gives you warning? What I'm sure Bob has all the streaming channels uh, that is that are available. Uh, what what movie do you think you would want to show him? Oh God, I don't know. Um, I would go with a Sergio Leone film myself. Maybe Once Upon a Time in America or Once Upon a Time in the West. He's definitely seen those movies. It wouldn't be new to him, but it'd be interesting to. Yeah, it would maybe once upon a time in America to get his take on on what's going on with that movie. There's a lot lot in that film, I feel. Um, be interesting to know what Bob thinks of it. He's a smart man. Might be able to shine some light on uh, Robert De Niro's character in that movie and the the terrible scene with uh, Deborah um, when he finally gets a date with her. Um, what's going on in that man's head? Like, a, yeah, it'd be a good one to pick his brains about. It's a long movie too. You get so you get to spend more time with them. If you show them the yeah, Sergio cool. Leone director's cut, that's like four hours or something. So you get to spend a whole evening with them. Well, uh, again, Chris, thanks so much for for coming back. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Uh, I wish you a happy new year, 
and uh, we will talk again soon. So again, thanks so much for coming by. Happy Christmas to you and your wife, and thanks very much, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can find Pod Dylan over on Twitter and Blue Sky, just under Pod Dylan. And if you want to support the show and hear the full extended episodes every week, plus our bonus shows, please subscribe to Pod Dylan on Apple Podcasts or on fmpods.com. So uh, that's going to do oh, it. Sorry, right. Rob. One more thing. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Yeah, just before you go. I wasn't on Twitter when I was on last time. I'm on it now. I'm Effie Pop. If anyone's wants to. Oh, that's right. Me. I'm sorry. I forgot to ask you. Yes. You're, yeah. what's, what's your handle again? Effie Pop Ireland. So I F F Y P O P. Thank you. That's my fault. I didn't realize you're on Twitter now. And I, I meant to ask you that. So, yes. Yeah. You can follow Chris. I actually over only on. joined it for Bob Twitter. That was it. So I was no, at, when, I was in Lo- when I was in London, someone said to me, that's Benny Boy Productions over there. And I was like, who the hell's Benny Boy Productions? And he's like, he's the best, like, for bootlegs of uh, Dylan. So this was the man. I had a clue. So I got on Twitter after that, and I've been on it ever since, just really for Bob stuff more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, again. All right. Join <laughs> right, in the show, Chris. Come on. So, everybody, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Thanks for your time. Stay safe and enjoy this. Turn your telly up. There will be a new album out in January featuring this song. And this song features vocals from Kylie, vocals from Nick Cave, vocals from Shane McGowan, vocals from Mick Harvey, and vocals from Blixer Bargeld. What a lineup. Uh, stay safe this weekend and enjoy this. And remember, death is not the end. Stay safe. Bye bye.